0: My name's Josh. Uh, Welcome. Uh, And Sandy has asked me to speak on hope this evening. Um, Now, for those of you who are here this morning, that's going to seem like an awfully familiar theme. Um, I have to say, when I found out Alice was uh, preaching on hope this morning, I thought, what a disaster. (laughs) Oh, no! And she was preaching from Romans as well. What a disaster. And then uh, I was chatting with someone about this, and they said, oh, wow, God really must want to speak about hope to us. I thought, that's a much better attitude. Why didn't I think about that? And so, um, that has seemed true, as tonight, you'll see that a number of things have really just been resonating, actually. Um, So that's really exciting. Um, So let me pray, and then I'll read from our our passage. Um, Lord Jesus, I thank you um, for the hope we have in you. I thank you for uh, being uh, back here as a church family, uh, and um, being able to meet regularly and worship you and praise you for the hope we have. I pray um, that as I speak tonight, you would... Um, be in my words that you'd help us uh, listen to what you're saying and to respond um, as you uh, remind us of the hope you have for us. We thank you so much for your grace. Amen. Great. So if you have a Bible, uh, turn to me to Romans 5, not Romans 8. And, um, and I'll read the passage. We're reading from Romans 5:1 uh, to 11. It will be on the screen as well. Therefore... Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Um, Think back with me uh, a week or so uh, to New Year's Eve, to where you were uh, when the clock struck midnight. Um, Maybe you were at a party with friends. Um, Maybe you uh, were having a quiet evening uh, with family, maybe an even quieter evening in bed. I've done it, it's great, recommend it highly. Um, th- this year, I was uh, at the first one of those, I was at a party with friends, um, and, I, and I kid you not, within five seconds of New Year turning, uh, one of my friends has put a drink on themselves, one of them had thrown up, and another one had kissed an inflatable plastic whale for lack of a partner. So, <laughs> strange things happen. Um, <laughs> Sandy Sandy asked uh, me to speak about hope to kill for the New Year, I guess, because... It's kind of logical, right? We heard from uh, Alice this morning that, you know, when the new year turns, you tend to think about life. You tend to think about how your last year was, how the year coming might be. Um, but if there's anything my New Year's party has taught me, and, and I like to think there is, um, it's that hope for the future is often fleeting. Your expectations don't often, don't often match up with reality. And um, we all wish each other a happy new year, and without trying to sound like a Scrooge, Why? <laughs> Because we can wish that on someone, and that's great, and I, I'd like to think you would if I said Happy New Year, you'd say Happy New Year back. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Great. You can't make my New Year happy. Um, we don't have control over that, really. Um, you know, Even the things that we say, oh, I'm going to make this resolution, I'm going to do that, how many of those things actually happen? <laughs> even the things that we have control over, um, we tend to mess them up. But what if there was a hope that lasted? Um, What if God, the one who is able to change circumstances, who has everything in control, who can provide hope for any situation, what if he intervened in our lives? What would that look like in terms of hope? What if God could provide us with a real enduring hope that was not about us but about him? You see, hope is something that happens and changes everything. So hope is Simba returning to Pride Rock. Hope is uh, Mr. Darcy proposing for the second time and, <laughs> and saving the Bennett's future. I like that. Um, hope is when things that seemed impossible become possible. And so the worse the situation, the truer the hope, right? When we move from fiction to real life, the hope increases. True hope is when everything seems totally and inescapably lost, and it changes. True hope is a fleet of fishing boats and yachts on the horizon at Dunkirk, to save 300,000 soldiers. True hope is the lifebelt thrown to the drowning swimmer. True hope is medicine for the dying child. True hope is what we look for when we have reached the end of ourselves when our situation has become fully and utterly hopeless. As a church, um, with Christians around the world, we believe that God has provided our truest hope, and his name is Jesus. And I want to remind us together as we start the year of what that hope is, And whether you're a follower of Jesus here tonight or not, I want to encourage you to trust in that hope. And so, um, as we approach our passage, that's my aim. So let me give you a bit of context for Romans 5. Um, It's written by Paul, um, the apostle, uh, a leader in the early church. He's writing to a church in Rome, um, obviously. And uh, he starts his letter in chapter 1 and 2 of a clear explanation of why, as humans, um, we are in need of hope. You see... To God, our situation is not the mild peril of a Disney film, but actually more like Dunkirk. It is hopeless. Humans have failed in the way they're meant to live, both by their own standards and by God's standards. And that's not that controversial. You know, We look at the world and we hold up these high standards sort of a people of, of, kind of how they're meant to live. And naturally, people don't make, live up to them. And when we try and think, approach that on ourselves, we have these standards and we say, actually, I'm doing that. We make exceptions for ourselves, or we we try and lower the standard when it comes to ourselves. And that's kind of what Paul talks about in the first couple of chapters of Romans. He says, um, we have uh, all uh, tried to hope in other things. We have all uh, tried to find hope for our lives, but not in God. And uh, we have found ourselves constantly disappointed as a result. and We have become trapped in our own lives by our own choices adrift from God and people. Um, when I lived in Wales, um, I studied in Wales, and spent another year after uh, studying there as well. Um, I had a friend, and he was a Christian, um, but he constantly was doubting, and he had a lot of doubts. And um, I guess out of surprise, often I, I kind of just asked him one time, why is it that you still believe? Because you have all these doubts, and what is the thing for you that, that holds you to your faith? And if I'm honest, that wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Um, I figured it would be um, the beauty of nature, or the goodness of God, or one of those things. It wasn't. For him, um, it was uh, the existence of uh, sin. It was uh, the Bible's view of, of the problems in the world. It was God's explanation of evil, for, that, for him, was the indisputable thing. He looked around at the world, and he was passionate about social justice and, and homelessness and, and all these things and wars, and, and for him, that was the thing. It was the hopelessness of the world that made him convinced there must be hope. It was that that kept him coming back to Jesus. You see, God's hope for us, starts with the acknowledgement that all other hopes have failed. It starts with the realisation that the hope we need is not a slight pick-me-up in a Disney film. It is not slight peril. It is rescue out of real danger, real hopelessness, real opposition and rebellion against God. That is what we are like for Jesus. And as a community, we are full of people, full of stories of how that was true for us. You know, we put our hope in other things, but we found Jesus and we found he was our answer. Um, We have given up running from him, and and now we trust him as our true hope. That is our story. We have found a hope that endures, that reaches into our real everyday lives and our real everyday world, and makes good on its promise. Jesus is a difference for us. Jesus doesn't allow us to throw a rug over our mess and pretend like it's okay. This is not blindness. And sometimes that's painful because it means we have to change. But through that pain comes hope. And that is where our passage starts. It says that since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we've also obtained access into this grace in which we stand. What hope does God offer us? He offers us peace with him through Jesus Christ. He offers us access to him, the confidence to stand before God and know that he sees my life, he hears my prayers, and that he loves me and accepts me as I am. That is what is on offer from God. The comfort of knowing him and knowing that I'm accepted before him. How? We're being justified by faith in Jesus. That is the starting point for us. Over Christmas, um, we make a massive deal of uh, Jesus' birth, don't we? And we had two carol services here and they were really, really great events. Um, But the point behind it was it's not just a story. It's an event that changed everything for us. Jesus lived a life without sin and in full submission to God and he willingly died on a cross in our place to take away our sin that is that is the hope that's the foundation he is the boat on the horizon he is the medicine he is the hope that won't let us down he is the rock and by Jesus sacrifice we've been justified and that's what it is to be a christian to be justified to be declared in the right by God not because of the life that we have lived This is not introspection. This is not self-analysis. But because of not because of the good things we've done or, or the way that we've lived, but simply because we've put our faith in Jesus, that's the offer. That's the starting point. That is the grace of God. This is where Jesus gives a better answer than any other religion or worldview. Other perspectives see the mess in the world and they say, "Clean that up." But Jesus came down as one of us and said, "Let me clean that up for you." Instead of the hopelessness of guilt and trying to please him by the things we do, God has offered us the hope of forgiveness and assurance that because of Jesus, he is already pleased with us. We have full access and peace with God. Let that be our starting point for the year. And so Jesus on the cross cried, it is done. And it was. And it is if you put your faith in him. If you're looking for hope from God for your new year, then you are looking for Jesus. That's the hope. That's the starting point. He is the fulfilment of hope for us. And that is true if you've never put your faith in Jesus before. And that is equally true and remains true for us as Christians. This is where we find our foundation. It's far too easy to start with Jesus and drift back to other hopes. It's far too easy. But for us as a church, our hope is not built on the quality of our spiritual life hope is not built on the fact that we come to church each week. It's not built on any of those things. It's built on the fact that we have believed in Jesus and he has accepted us and justified us by his sacrifice for us. That's where our peace comes from. That's where our hope comes from in every circumstance in life. And so we go into the new year confident. If you believed in Jesus, you have the confidence to know that God accepts you this year. He accepts you and you are loved by him. And so Paul says, he concludes the first section by saying, We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Because I was without hope in the world and Jesus saved me. I was far from him and God brought me close. I had offended him and God paid the price to bring me back. I was empty and God filled me. The extravagance of God's hope overwhelms the weight of my hopelessness. That is the foundation. And so, obviously, as Christians, we are excited about that. That is why we gather each week. That is why we gather to worship God. Because we are people of joy. Because we don't come worrying about how we're doing. We come knowing what Jesus has done. Because people who have admitted that they can't fix themselves, and whose hope rests totally on God, those people stop caring about their own lives and start caring about God. Start caring far more about God than myself. See, the thought that God exists and that he's in charge is only scary when you're afraid of him. But when you know you're accepted, fear is replaced by peace and hope. Jesus is our true hope. Let's start the year confident in him. Let's place our faith in him. But what does that mean for now? You know, you say that's very very big picture. Um, But what about Monday the 8th, tomorrow, um, back to work for some of us? sadly. Um, well, our passage says this, and goes on, not only that, in other words, not only do we hope in the glory of God, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Um, I'm a bit of a history nerd, um, some of you probably know that, Um, I love looking back in the past and seeing uh, what people in the past can tell us about life today. Um, And um, when you look back at the history of the church, um, you find some real extremes of how Christians have approached suffering in life. Um, So I want to introduce you to to one approach. um, And this was taken uh, in the Middle Ages by a group called the Flagellants. Um, Now, if you've seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail, you've met them before, they do this a lot. They kind of go around causing themselves suffering... Um, and the idea for them was um, they were trying to get rid of their sin by putting themselves through as much physical suffering as possible. And they read passages like this and thought, okay, God wants um, us to suffer as much as possible because that makes us endure. Um, and uh, that gives us character and character helps us hope in God. And so what we need to do is seek as much of this as possible because that will really help us grow. Um, so they said, let's, let's cause our own suffering. Let's, let's pursue that suffering and let's rejoice in it. Um, I think very few of us are likely to be closet flagellants. Um, But what about the other extreme? Um, What about the extreme that says that God doesn't want us to ever experience suffering, um, that he won't allow us to go through that, that since God is a good father, he he won't let his children go through difficulties? Um, In order to explore that, I I want to volunteer, so I've asked Nathaniel to help me out here. Um, So Nathaniel... (laughs) Hang on, hang on. So... So Nathaniel is going to represent suffering and difficulty. So um, I think he does that very well, naturally. But um, I'm just going to... So now, I'd like a nice, easy new year. So if you could not give me too much suffering, that would be really really great. Yeah, am I good to go? Um, Yeah. (laughs) So life is really good for me right now. Um, I'm really enjoying it. Um, God is really blessing me in lots of ways. I just feel really, really happy. And I think you get the point. <laughs> you can take that with you if you like. Give a hand for Nathaniel. Um, see, it's crazy uh, to want to chase after suffering, isn't it? But it's equally crazy to run away from suffering or pretend that it's not there. You know, it's crazy for me to hit myself in the head, but it's cra- crazier, I think, to think that the suffering that's happening to me, that if I ignore it, then that's the right thing to do. Um, that if I pretend like it's not, like, not there, um, that that's the right thing to do. And I, and I think we have to put that perspective up against the passage and say both of those things are extremes. Um, suffering happens, it is outside of our control, but God uses it for, his, for our ultimate good. And so when we look at this passage, you see, we, we see that God has saved us through Jesus. He, he starts to change us. He produces good character in us by his Holy Spirit. And our passage says that suffering produces that character through endurance. And so we have to conclude that even though God ultimately wants the best for us as his children, and he, and he gives us good things and he blesses us, he's also prepared to let us go through suffering, to bring about something better in the end. We don't have room for that in our thinking. We're in danger, not of pursuing suffering like the flagellants, but ignoring it, pretending it doesn't happen, sweeping it under the rug and putting a brave face on rather than being honest. And, and that will affect our involvement in church. It will make people think that we're fine when we're not. It will um, cause us to be dishonest with the church and actually make us stumble and suffer even more. And Suffering isn't fun, and sometimes it can be an extremely painful thing, but we rejoice that God is so in control that he can use even our day-to-day suffering for good. God's hope for every day is not those two extremes, but this, that we will experience both happiness and suffering. But for those of us who trust Jesus, God will use it all to draw us closer to him. Now, it's totally true, of course, that God is the source of every one of our blessings, that he gives us good things. All this is true, I'm just not focusing majorly on those things because of the passage that we're in. And it's equally true that in the middle of our physical, emotional, mental sufferings we can struggle with the suffering and at the same time have a confident hope that God is using it for our ultimate good. Romans eight twenty eight says that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his, to his purpose. So probably what does that mean? What hope is it that God is in control of our lives like this? Well, I think it, it means that whatever comes my way this year I can say with confidence that God is able to use it for my good and his glory. Nothing that happens to me this year, whatever it may be, that I can't control or that I can control, happens empty of purpose. Paul writes in Philippians 4, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's not actually talking about miracles there. He's talking about this. He's talking about endurance. He's talking uh, about how our lives shouldn't be us chasing after a beating because that's silly, although sometimes following Christ will mean we have to suffer. It doesn't mean trying to pretend like Nathaniel isn't there hitting us. But standing firm in the middle of those things, trusting God, praising him, and hoping that he is able to use it to grow us and to bring us through that. And see, this is really radical stuff. Only people whose hope rests on a man being killed and raised from the dead can have that kind of hope through all of life. Because if Jesus, who is God himself, would willingly endure suffering for the hope set before him, then so can I. And if he was raised from the dead after his suffering, surely we can trust that God, um, that through our suffering, we will one day that will all be eclipsed by eternal joy. See, there may be times in life when we feel like our hope is dead and our suffering has overtaken us. But we believe in a God of resurrection. There is hope for any circumstance in life. And we pray into those things and we long for him to lift us out of it. But if he, even if he doesn't, he's able to use them for our ultimate good. That is the sort of hope we have as Christians. We have hope in any circumstance. As a Christian, life can keep hitting me with everything it's got. But Jesus can see me through God may set our circumstances this year to bring us happiness and make us thrive, or he may choose to allow us to go through some suffering. But we can rejoice in all of that because our hope is in Jesus and our Father is in charge and nothing escapes his eye. It's not an optimistic hope. It's it's not a hope that either ignores or pursues suffering. It's a hope that allows us to handle anything we face. And we sung this earlier I praise you when I'm laughing, I praise you when I'm grieving, I praise you every season of the soul. Nothing else makes sense of life like that except our hope in Jesus. No other hope can compare to this. Nothing else empowers us to rejoice in every season of life. and Jesus is true hope for us. So briefly as we finish, what does that mean in the future? Um, Some of you may know um, that I've uh, had a a big, a flat leak lately, so um, my bathroom and my kitchen are both out of action. Um, So uh, my landlady, who is amazing, um, sends in workmen to fix the roof. Um, She organises a cleaner to clear up the mess. Uh, She gets people in to fix the boiler, which also broke at the same time. Uh, She drove an hour with her kids in the car to come and rescue me when I locked myself out of the house. Um, And she gave me half a month's rent back for the fuss of me moving out for two, two weeks. Now, it's pretty cool. After that what are the chances that she's going to turn around and kick me out of the flat next month? After she's invested so much time, money, and effort into looking after me, what are the chances that she's going to let me down? Pretty slim. I mean, even by Edinburgh landlord standards, that would be pretty pretty bad. That's exactly Paul's point in this passage. Look at that last section. He's saying, God has done more than we ever thought possible. In sending his son to die for us on a cross and taking our sins upon himself... He is not about to turn around after all of that and abandon us. He is not about to kick us out of the house. We do not worship a God where we are constantly on the edge, wondering whether we're going to be okay. No. If God was willing to step in and rescue us when we were still in rebellion against him, how much more? How much more will he save us from his wrath on the final day when we die and face judgment? If God has done everything already to pay our debt, We can be confident if we hope in Jesus that when the day comes, He will welcome us into His finished kingdom. Our hope is certain. This is not a hope that may disappoint us. This is not an Edinburgh landlord. I have really negative experiences of some Edinburgh landlord, as you can tell. God cannot lie. His cards are on the table, He's all in. Jesus on the cross committed, it is done. And so our hope is secure. And Paul finishes with this. If Jesus' death, has the power to save us, how much more does his life give us hope? He has risen from the dead and so will we. He has risen and he reigns. The living Jesus, who as I speak, sits on his throne, loves his church, is restoring everything that is broken, is establishing all his promises, who will bring justice and peace to his creation. He will heal every disease, He will wipe every tear. We will share in his resurrection. See, people who worship Jesus are never lacking in hope. If death is beaten, then what shall we fear? If resurrection is coming, then what circumstances can overwhelm us? We have a hope that saves us, that helps us endure tomorrow, that gives us hope for the future that we can't even fully comprehend. That is the hope we have in Jesus.